0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC.
1: Hello and welcome to a special Christmas edition of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, I was going to say how's your Christmas been, mate, but we're not quite there yet, but everything's sorted, everything's okay.
0: Well, you know, as is always the case, there's a a little bit of running around to do on my part, but um, yeah, you know, give it. I think the next few hours, once I have finished up with work, I'll uh, I'll get boxed off and then all done, mate. Kick back a little bit. Um, what about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm running around,
1: very busy. Um, and the reason this is a special episode is because I'm supposed to be off. <laughs> uh, but uh, as as usual, dedicated, analyzing, and field host. Um, I thought I'd dedicate some time to the winter schedule, but we've just found out five weeks before recording, haven't we, that uh, that the Leeds game has been postponed uh, due to COVID cases, so it's probably going to be, all things considered, a shorter episode uh, than normal. What's your initial
0: thoughts on that, by the way? Relief or... Um,
1: although I think Liverpool would have dismantled Leeds at the minute, considering how you know how hit their side is by injuries and stuff. I do think it could slightly benefit Liverpool potentially, considering we've got Leicester on the 28th and Jürgen Klopp notoriously hates that 48 hour turnaround. Mm. Um the one the, the only elements I, about it I don't like is by the time we hit New Year's Day, City could have a six point lead over second place. Um and we just know what happens usually when that's the case so have you got any thoughts or
0: similar to yourself i think uh it look it was a really good time to play leeds wasn't it because they've been really poor um obviously they've had their own issues in terms of injuries and covid related uh absentees uh so it just felt like a good time to to play them and there's no guarantee that when that game gets rescheduled, uh, Leeds are going to be in the same place. No, there's, you know, How many times have we seen it in the past where games are being postponed when it looks nailed on, that one result is going to go one way and then everything changes when the next fixture comes around? Uh, the only difference is, I think, with Leeds is uh, normally in those situations it might be, say, uh, a manager struggling, um, you know, not getting a reaction out of his players, more than likely going to face the chop. New manager comes in bit of a bounce and becomes a more difficult game can't really see that happen with Leeds. i think i expect them to level out a little bit in terms of uh, results but um i don't expect them to sack bielsa frankly so you know you're not probably going to get uh, an, a, an excellent version of Leeds, you know in a month's time or in a few weeks whenever it's rescheduled but um overall i reckon low-key Klopp will be quite pleased that was called off
1: yeah, I, I think it'll, it could benefit us. And as I said, when it comes to facing Leicester on the twenty eighth, um, you know Liverpool notoriously dominate Leicester, and Leicester have, I think, City on Boxing Day. So if you're facing Liverpool on the twenty eighth, or face Liverpool, I think that that could make the fixture a lot easier for us. So but we'll see when it comes to it anyway. Um, but today we're going to look back briefly at Spurs, and we're going to look ahead I suppose, to Leicester now. Uh, and that's kind of all we have to go through really this week, uh, despite the busy schedule. Um, so, in terms of the Spurs game, mate, I suppose we'll start with general thoughts on this.
0: Yeah, um, <coughs> it looked like. <laughs> Be careful. I know. No, it, it. I'll. You know, pre-kickoff team news. Uh, it looked as if. It did have the potential to be a little bit wild or just something a little bit different because of obviously key players being missing, you know, we're in that key area. Um, having to bring in I think it was Morton, wasn't it, who went in there? Tyler Morton instead of Fabinho. Wow. You know, so straight away, that's a key area to the pitch, a key area in terms of control, especially. Um I'm not saying he done poorly, but obviously you you lose one of the best in in that position across Europe. Uh no van Dijk as well. So I guess this game had potential to be a little bit chaotic and um, it kind of played out like that. I thought, uh, you know, Liverpool probably come away from the game and are quite pleased that it was a draw, given the the context of the key players missing, uh, obviously going down to 10 men. Whether we'll get into there should Tottenham went down to 10 men, the base, I don't know. But, um, you know, if we just talk about the facts for a minute, obviously Liverpool went down to 10 men. I thought Alisson on the day was phenomenal. Um, he obviously made a huge mistake, but uh, everything that come before that was fantastic. Kept Liverpool in the game and Spurs created some really big chances. So on the whole, Josh, I thought it was a, a, a point frustratingly that Liverpool would probably take.
1: Yeah, I think it was a good example for me of the whole you're only as good as your players type mantra that I push quite often. <laughs> um, because it was very much the same system. It was the same tactics and all that sort of stuff, but when you just don't have the same level individuals executing that game, players just make like one or two mistakes here and there. And we saw it last night. You know, in the in the League Cup, I was at the game and Liverpool played reasonably well, uh, much better than the second half. But in the first half, Leicester didn't really create much themselves, but just three mistakes and it was like it was three goals almost. Um so I think one thing you find when it comes to Jurgen Klopp's game given how high risk it is, you know, high defensive line, offside trap, pressing high, expansive football all that. If you if you instruct a, a player who's fairly average to try and play in that one, they just they might play reasonably well but as I said, they just make one or two mistakes and those mistakes because of the high risk game tend to cost you Um, and I just thought Liverpool played fairly well against Spurs dominated most of the ball and I think twice as many shots although we will get into that because there's context behind that Um, but just on the defensive side looked like they could just be sliced open very very easy Um, and I must say that I don't think it was too much this time around at least I don't think it was too much related to Van Dijk not being there I thought it was a product of the midfield, um, and I think in terms of obviously Tyler Morton playing, you know, fair play for Klopp playing him, and I think I I think that was a product of last season that selection because I think last season, I think Klopp picks a more established player to play as the six who maybe isn't a six, whereas he learnt at the end of the season, didn't he? We had centre-backs there all season, we didn't really use them until the end of the season and we did finally use them. Although they weren't that great, it just helped the system a bit more. Mm. So I think going into the Spurs game, the only available six that he had was Tyler Morton. And I think he could have, as I said, jumbled things around and played Milner there or something like that. But I think he's learned from last season and played Tyler Morton there and I think he did okay but it was not one of those games where he, he, he couldn't possibly have thrived. Fabinho wouldn't. I don't think Fabinho would have looked particularly great in this game because it was it was like basketball at times, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the the ideal environment for him to come in in that position, in his natural position, um, would be a home game against a team, like, you know, say in Newcastle, at home or something like that. Just a fixture where, it's it's going to be a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you can kind of feel your way through it. Um, and as you said, this game was anything but. It was hectic. Um, you know, at times, it was very end to end, chaotic. Just just very on Liverpool like um, when Liverpool got the best anyway. That is um and that is one of the I touched on it before but that's one of the key positions when it comes to control uh, control and play and having someone really established in that area I feel like you can you can get away with it a little bit more in different positions but that one in particular you know that number six role in four three three it's it's really important
1: yeah so if we if we look at the numbers then go a little bit deeper into the game so on the face of it it looks like Liverpool have done okay. 57% possession alongside uh, 18 shots. Uh, Spurs only took 11. But then you go a bit deeper. You look at the expected goals.
0: And the expected goals is quite heavy. Have <laughs> you seen it, Dave? Yeah, it's, uh, it's by Liverpool standards, expected goals against. It's huge. Yeah, so Liverpool
1: posted next year in attack of 1.5. Which is not that bad. It's just okay. You know, Liverpool usually pokes a bit more, but Liverpool have poked it worse plenty of times. So that's an expected goal where you're expected to score one or two goals. Liverpool obviously scored two. So not too bad there. But in defense, Liverpool allowed Space to generate shots with three point four expected goals. That's very high. Uh, and I've just just to capture how high that is, I've just looked now. So we use FB Ref as our provider, Statsbomb, Statsbomb's numbers. And Statsbomb goes back from now to the 2017-18 season, I think. And in the Premier League and the Champions League, going right the way back to the 2017-18 season, Liverpool allowed a higher XG against just once in one game. Uh, have you got any ideas, Dave, what game that might be? And Just not to I mean, put you on the spot, and no, could it potentially be a Manchester City game? A Manchester City game, I think, is second, funnily enough. Right, okay. But the game at the top is the Aston Villa calamity when we oh, lost seven two. Yeah,
0: obvious, really.
1: Yeah. Um. So this was right up there with that, and it's it's mm-hmm. quite funny actually that Villa managed to score seven on the back of it. Spurs only got two. I think maybe you could put some of that down
0: to Allison. Um, which is what we said after the Aston Villa game, by the way. We said, you know, Adrian in goal. and Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, it becomes a more uh, respectable scoreline if you have Alisson in there. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um,
1: and I think before we get into the refereeing, which we will, and we don't usually, um, before we get into that, I did want to highlight those numbers because although I felt like Liverpool were kind of robbed a little bit, Space generated the three point four XG. Um anytime you gen anytime you're facing that, you're very lucky to get away with it. That's a that that's a lot. And I think obviously Space didn't didn't generate that much in quantity wise. But what they did generate, they should have scored a they could have scored a fair few if it was a clinical day for them.
0: Analysing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. What the
1: referee and Dave? Uh, so, we don't usually touch on referees, we very, very rarely do it, and there's a reason for that, it's because I hate doing it, I hate it when managers come out after games, and rather than looking at their own performance, they look at referee decisions, it does me, but every now and then I think you have one or two games a season where the referee has seriously impacted the seasons, basically, um based on his, his decisions. He's, he's, he's had a huge say on the result, basically. And I think this was one of them. Um, Obviously, he sent Andy Robertson off. He didn't send Harry Kane off in the first half. Uh, didn't give a penalty for Liverpool. And I think that was pretty much it. Uh, but what, what were your thoughts on his performance, Dave? Obviously, unbiased perspective, you obviously weren't as emotionally invested as, as a Liverpool fan was. So mm-hmm. the, from your perspective on, Honestly, you know, what was it a bad performance from Paul Tierney? Was it a, you know, what?
0: Mm, Yeah. Um, Look, I can't really add any fresh insight onto it. I thought um, he had three major decisions on the day. It just so happens those three decisions, I mean, let's be honest, they are kind of game-changing decisions in their own right. You you know, a red card changes a game, uh, as does a penalty. Because it more than often, you know, leads to a goal, especially when you got like you know, Mo Salah on the pitch. Um, I think he got two of them, two of the three wrong on the day, and unfortunately for Liverpool, that it was the two against them. Uh, the only thing, uh, although I thought it, it, it was Tierney, wasn't it Paul Tierney? Um, yeah, yeah. Although I, obviously the, the finger points at him, I do think it's a really difficult job to be a referee and. Again, I'm not bringing anything new to the table, but I can only echo what others said in terms of, you know, there's a team of officials uh, with the benefit of cameras uh, who can obviously look back on the incidents and and kind of inform decisions. And and for whatever reason, uh, that team didn't go to the right conclusions on these. So to be clear, uh, I did think it was a penalty. and I did think it was a red card. The only thing I would say that what which I can say from a, a a less emotional place than you know, maybe yourself or others listening is I don't feel like it was as bad as as it's been made out a little bit. I think it was a red which, card event. Just 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 the red time. card was a red card, but the penalty, for example, I've seen I've seen them not given this season. I've seen similar. I I, I just think it's I think there must be grey areas for the officials that make these these kind of f- files not uh, not like stone walls in their eyes. That maybe we you know we'd be better getting some insight from a re- referee. But um, yeah, I, I'm not as emotional with it, uh, so I'm kind of a bit like, well, we're still seeing stuff like this every week. You know, you could argue that we saw a, a poor challenge last night um, on. Pitt Pereira uh, against Leicester. I uh, can't yeah. remember who made it now. So it was Ty- Tyler Morton, yeah. But Tyler Morton, yeah. Um, you know that was that was as, as bad, but obviously it was, bad it was probably it's probably a bit card, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say it was as bad as?
1: Um, it was hard for me because I was on the ground, so I haven't really yeah. seen the replay. But it looked, it looked bad. Like it looked like it, a potential. Yeah, uh, like, I guess
0: the, Yeah, I guess to summarize before you know passing over to you, I'd say for me there was three. Uh, big decisions on the day. He got two wrong. Unfortunately, that was both were against Liverpool. Um, but I just still feel like we're seeing stuff like this every week. Um, challenges like this that go unpunished. And maybe it's a wider issue rather than being something against uh, Liverpool only on this one occasion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm one of them who thinks it's a conspiracy against Liverpool and like that. I just, uh, I really hated the logic behind the moves behind the decisions because apparently for Robertson apparently Kane doesn't sense off because A his force isn't high enough it, it's only high enough to break his ankle not his leg <laughs> and B Robertson doesn't get caught much because Robertson jumps over him right so that's the logic behind that one apparently and then the penalty the logic behind that was Paul Tierney believed that Jota stopped on purpose to win the penalty to win it now, I didn't know referees
0: were allowed to think like that. To be honest, where, where did, yeah. Sorry, to, but where did the quote? Where where does he relay this information? Is, the, is that, the, the the second
1: part what I've just said? The Jota one, he told Klopp that. Right, that was, that okay. was his words to Klopp. Right, and the Robertson part that I've just relayed was the official VAR thing after right, okay. I think, um, but I think. An, so, to get the red card off Kane, of Kane, Robertson would have to stay there and take the hit. And for Jota to win the penalty, he would have to somehow keep moving while shooting. I just think that the logic behind that's crazy. Um, yeah. uh, my, my main issue was with it was, I think Robertson's was a red card, but if you haven't given Kane's, you can't then give Robertson's. I just mm-hmm. don't think that's... I think if you give him... A red, get them both off. If you're not giving a red for Kane, Robertson stays on. In my opinion, just to you know, as I, I just thought it was a mad game in terms of um refereeing. I, I agree that you see these things every week, but you don't see it th- to this extent influencing you know at the course of a match. Really, you know, if Kane gets sent off, Liverpool play against ten men for sixty minutes. Robertson then probably doesn't make that tackle at the end of the game. Um doesn't then miss three games afterwards I just feel I hate it when referees have such an impact on their on seasons they should be silent in the background in my opinion and this is one of them where he firmly took centre stage
0: would you how would you feel if um if they were to come out or if in the post-match the quotes would have been different and it would have been like yeah, got that wrong. Definitely, uh, you know, we, we've made a mistake on that one. I only ask you because that happened for briefly last last season. I remember them um, in particular. Like, this might ring ring a bell for you as well, Josh. Haven't um, played Brighton away, and um, they were winning two one, and in like the eighty fifth minute, did uh, they, Brighton win a penalty for? I think I can't remember. If it was a dive or something. But anyway they score that penalty and then go on to win 3-2 so it was a quite big decision and not directly afterwards which is you know different yeah, this I I'm this, yeah yeah but a few weeks later they come out like whoever the officials are for the referees panel uh or whatever the exact terminology is and basically said uh yeah we we got that one wrong and <clears throat> i just wonder if if tini would have come out I guess it's hard, isn't it, when it's all still very emotional? Uh and it's just in the wake of the game. But if you would have come out and said we've got we've got both those decisions wrong today, we hold our hands up, do you think you would have felt different and do you think Liverpool fans would have maybe res- respected it a little bit more? I don't know.
1: I don't know about Liverpool fans in general. I would certainly appreciate it. I wouldn't you know, I I, I still assume a general reaction for, to that would, would still be anger. Uh, because we you've cost us a game in a way, but uh, I would, I would respect it, um, because at least in your own your mistakes, but I feel like they, it never happens. I feel like they they make, they make ha- quite high profile bad moves sometimes and you don't really hear anything from it and it's just a little mm-hmm. bit frustrating I suppose, but yeah, we wouldn't really ever speak about referees, but given this game and the context of it, I think it did play a part more than usual. Um, So we had to flag it. Funnily enough, Dave, after the game, just, For the sake of my own, I don't even know why I did it really, but I looked into referee and numbers, and I looked into the referee who's the most likely to give a foul slash yellow card, and the referee who's the least likely to give a foul slash yellow card. Paul Tierney's bang in the middle, so it's not him. I'm not not getting at that. But Have you got any guesses as to who's the most or least likely
0: to Uh give a foul? No. Maybe someone... I, I put Mike Dean at one end of the spectrum, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the least likely to give a foul is Stuart Atkinson.
1: Uh, sorry, Martin Atkinson. Get mixed Martin, up with the names Martin, here. Martin Atkinson, yeah. Martin Atkinson. So if you've got him in charge of your game, I suppose you can expect your game to flow a little bit more. And the one who's least, who's most likely to give a foul so the match will be a bit more stop-start and you get a few more yellows is Peter Banks. Uh, so yeah. moving forward, just want to bear in mind and don't even know why I checked it, but I just thought it
0: would. Maybe we'll uh, we'll flag the referees each week. Uh <laughs> it's, it's just gonna be here, uh, yeah. so we can work out if it's gonna impact the game or not. Yeah, start going down the conspiracy theories we say. Yeah.
1: Um but yeah, unless you had anything else to add on the game, mate. I think we, we can move on. I think it was a, a generally it, all things considered, the madness of the game and the XG and all that
0: considered. I don't is a is a point that bad? no i don't think so instead of the stars i think if you throw in the Hulk look Liverpool in a position they going for the title with City any points to drop there's a disappointment but when you throw in all the context that we just thrown in for 20 minutes i think you, you take that a point all day that could have easily been a defeat on another day you know you said the referee the referee decisions went against you, yeah, as we just talked about Injuries, COVID, uh chances created by Tottenham everything in there, mate. It's it was a was it, a good point.
1: Yeah. I would say just throwing into that though at the end, um I do think Liverpool probably win if with a full team. because of the COVID hits, you know, we had no Henderson, no Van Dijk. I mean, I know Henderson was ill rather than COVID, I suppose, but the spine of the team, I thought the leadership group of the team was absent. So um yeah, it was a difficult one for Liverpool. Mm. We'll move on anyway to the upcoming game with Leicester now on the twenty eighth, uh, yeah, it team that Liverpool notoriously prosper against really. every year. It seems to be, I mean, there's been the odd moments, I suppose, but Klopp seems to dominate Rodgers
0: usually. Yeah, so the, I mean, they the, the beat Liverpool in uh, in February on uh, away three uh, one, but beyond that, uh, you'd have to go back to twenty seventeen for the last time, and that was in the League Cup. Which you know you take with a pinch of salt um so yeah it is a very kind of tends to be one-sided fixture and i don't know i thought they managed the game really uh, well i'll see what you think actually i thought they managed the game quite poor yesterday um or just didn't react very well to Liverpool's changes uh, and the momentum can't Liverpool builds in the second half but i i i think you can make it make excuses for them but if you're leading 3-1 at half-time, you should see a game out. Um, and the fact that he never kind of again highlights uh, to an extent that the whole Liverpool seems to have over Leicester. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. He's, I
1: don't want to criticize him too much because I do still think he's a good coach. But I do think there has generally been a, a kind of like a soft underbelly to... Rogers teams over the years mm. you know if you think of Liverpool when we went for the title if you think of Leicester when they're going for top four if you think of Rogers in Europe um, th- th- there's a fair bit of evidence there now that his teams are inclined to um, I think they can collapse a little bit when uh, things go against them and that and I'm not sure how much of that you can put down to Rogers. I'm not sure how harsh that is you know that, that I'm even flagging that really but and you know Leicester are overperforming to be challenging for the top four, please. And you could argue his Celtic team is overperforming, competing in Europe and stuff like that. Um, and Liverpool are overperforming, contesting for the title that year, maybe. Mm. So he always, he always obviously good at good at achieving that. Need to flag that. But it, it it does feel, over the years and certain pressure moments, his team have, as I said, just got a little bit shaky and collapsed in the
0: in, in the at the business end, if your like. Yeah, maybe he's, a, he's an example of eventually always reverting to the mean in terms, you know, over <laughs> years old performing and then all catching up on him. But uh, I mean, look, the thing is, don't we getting a little bit carried away with it. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of that you
1: can even put on the coach really, but I suppose yeah. from a Klopp perspective, the opposite end. Liverpool have really gained in that department since Klopp's mm-hmm. charge. We've obviously gained better players as well. But Liverpool don't, tend to collapse anywhere near as much as he did
0: Mm, yeah where there's you know again talking about last night I um, I don't know I just I I hate and this is something you never see from Liverpool um, I really hate that mindset of um, of trying to run the clock down with you know 20 odd minutes to go trying to um, slow the game down not show much attack and ambition and all that because I think all that indirectly just sends out signals and I I think if you're in an environment like Anfield, um, that just, if anything, adds to that momentum that you're building when you're chasing the game, when you see the team they're fearful they're not going to come back at you. Um, And I think in the end, Liverpool fully deserved to come back into the game um, and, you know, get the third goal and take it to penalties. so I would pull a little bit of that on, on, on Rodgers, I think. Uh, I think he has to take a little bit of responsibility for that side of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are we are talking about the 28th game, the game on the 28th, but in terms of the recent game with Leicester last night, I did want to flag Kanata, um Because I think, obviously, he was a typical Liverpool sign in terms of being gradually embedded into the team, not immediately thrown in. And I think whenever whenever we've seen him, there's been the odd moments, I think maybe where he's looked a little bit, I think he's maybe been caught out, he's maybe been a bit too proactive in certain moments, but I do think overall, he looks like a very, very good centre-half and he looks like he's going to have a good future at Liverpool. I don't think he's going to be a problem. I think he's going to be a decent successor, in fact, to Van Dijk further down the line when Canarte reaches the age of like, 28 and things like that. Uh, he's currently... Google it now yeah he couldn't be 22 he's an absolute unit as we know <laughs> um, which you need to play in centre half of Liverpool in my opinion um, and yeah I just wanted to flag him because obviously we, we all had major criticisms of Liverpool in January because Liverpool were top of the league Klopp quite clearly wanted slash needed a centre half and the club opted against in the end getting them on. and I think Although that was majorly controversial and I still kind of disagree with that one today. I do think that one of the main reasons as to why they haven't done that is because they will have had Canate lined up in the summer. And I think now and for the years moving forward, I think we will see why Liverpool was so keen to stick with, no, we're getting Canate in the summer, even despite the crisis that Klopp was managing at the time.
0: It could be, yeah. You know, and there's, maybe the sacrifices we could not win the league this season but he, he could help us you know win it in in, in years to come uh, and he has i mean everyone knew he was a really good buy it it was just a question of um was he a victim of freak injuries or was he a player that consistently was breaking down and uh, I, yeah, think, well, I, uh, go on. I was going to
1: say at the same time what's your stance on the whole bundesliga attacks thing?
0: What in terms of whether they, if they can translate that quality into the Premier League, in terms of Bundesliga players coming to
1: England yeah. and struggling, you know, yeah. I think there's been a few of them who've done it, and I think you know the way you just said, then we knew his, we knew he was a good sign, and I
0: agree, but there's always
1: that Bundesliga tax thing hanging over a player until he starts doing it.
0: I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm fully on board with that that one, you know. I've, uh, I've I've seen the term used, and I've I've saw people try and use examples and do a little bit of analysis on it, but I'm uh, I'm still not hundred percent sold on it. I am still a little bit more old school and firmly kind of in the camp of the Bundesliga, it isn't a bad kind of uh, environment to rear through players before coming to the Premier League. Um, you know, given what what the division's like. And <clears throat> I also think that maybe is a little bit more relevant to the attacking side of the game as opposed to maybe the defensive side. Um I mean I'm trying has there been any major defenders who've come over and struggled off the top of your head? Well I was just thinking then when I was thinking of evidence of players who have they are
1: mostly forwards. Um mm. you know, if you think I think it's been levelled at Sancho so far, even though I think that's uncalled for personally. Mm. It's obviously been been levelled at rainer uh, at Chelsea. I think that one's a bit more understandable. Have um it. Have it. But I think I has it, been fine personally, but that's um it. in terms of centre half though, no, we don't I suppose you don't see many, do you?
0: No, no. I'm trying to think who else was the Haller. Was he one? Uh, no, he was a uh, Dutch. Dutch, Dutch, yeah. He was. Oh, Joe Linton, Joel Linton was one, Linton. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. That was that wasn't great, like, but again, but, he,
0: he the well the day, I suppose. Yeah, he's, he's coming, he apparently he's coming into his own. And uh, I don't know, it's it's uh, who, who goes to Newcastle and thrives, really, you know, it's it's a tough place, isn't it, over the last couple of years, so. So to answer your question, I still thought, no, he was all right. And I still think, you know, buying from the Bundesliga isn't a red flag uh, for me. Uh, it was just whether he he could just continually be fit. Um and I think we we, we, knew, we said at the time that it was a case of rather than breaking down, it was more kind of big injuries and uh, on that basis probably won't uh, carry on. And it looks like uh, so far so good anyway. Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, but just rolling it back to Leicester anyway, in terms of what to expect from them, uh, just having a little look at the numbers for the season so far. For some reason, gradually, Rogers' numbers haven't been so so good as his career has moved on. I think, um, he seems to have adopted more and more the approach of, I mean, he was very philosophical at the start, wasn't he? And I think now he's a lot more inclined to adapt based on. What he's got and what he's facing, basically. So I think if he's in a position where he has to face, he has to soak pressure like he did for the second half against Liverpool last night. I think he will just do it and he'll counter the attack. I think a lot of that stems from having Jamie Valley in this team. Mm. And, you know, he's one of the best counter attack players around. So, but in terms of expected goals this season, excluding penalties, less than a fifth, which is not bad. Got a higher XG. Mind you, this is not factoring in the postponements, so, oh yeah, well, even factored in the postponements, the fourth actually, so, that's better than I expected, Um, in terms of shots, closer to mid table, so that suggests that they don't generate that much, but when they do, it's the quite clear cut shots, uh, and on the defensive side of the game, for expected goals against, they are, yeah, a little bit worse than mid table, but they do tend to face a fair amount of shots, though. They face only Newcastle United, Leeds United and Burnley, average more shots on their goal than Leicester. So, all things considered, Roger's still in charge, Klopp still in charge, two teams being very similar. I suppose the only caveat you could throw in there is we don't know who's going to be a for Liverpool. Hopefully Van Dijk will be back and stuff. I've got no, no idea, really, for being and on things. But if Liverpool can field... You know, a, a 75, 80% strong team as normal. I would expect Liverpool to just kind of play in their usual way against Leicester. And that, in my opinion, is usually involves total dominance.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I'm trying to think if if it remotely spo- uh, throws a spanner in the works away from home as opposed to being home. But... I mean history suggests it doesn't um you know it, it's probably going to be a very similar game I said I know the uh the, the beat Liverpool there last February but that was really in the middle of that kind of messy period with the um with the defense and things and key players missing so i take that with a pinch of salt um yeah I I, I just it's it's really hard isn't it with five days away Or whatever it is to try and preempt what to expect at the moment because of the the players missing and the games being cancelled, and uh, to an extent a fixture list in between. Um, Who have Leicester got in that? So we haven't touched on this, Josh, but uh, Leicester actually due to go to the Etihad on Boxing Day as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So what I mean, yeah, that that's a tough game, isn't it? It's probably the worst possible Christmas. Schedule you can have, really, isn't yeah. it? I mean, to to face City, and then forty eight hours later you face Liverpool, and that Liverpool as well won't even play on Boxing Day. You know that Liverpool will be fairly revitalised considering we we have just played our most recent game, so got a couple of days off there, around a week or so before we have to face Leicester. Yeah. So, you know, I I consider it, see Liverpool playing. Being being okay, I I think Liverpool could could score a few in this one. Again, but it all comes back to who will be available. I've got no idea who's gonna be available, I've got no idea if the match will so even go ahead.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I hope it does. <laughs> Since we talked about it. Um but yeah, it's 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 really difficult. But you know, from from the position we are right now, five days before, based on what we know, um, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd fancy them, wouldn't you? Uh, with, with with again, use that word context. The context of Leicester having to, they've just played Anfield, they have to go to the Etihad, then take on Liverpool. Who had a break. It's everything's kind of pointing towards uh, an away win, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, so we'll do, we'll, we'll do predictions then, mate. So um, yeah, we'll round up with predictions. Go on.
0: If if Liverpool have key players back, uh, specifically like if Fabinho in, in there, then uh, expected to be more controlled. Uh, game and I'd probably go for a 2 0 away win for Liverpool. Given the same
1: circumstances you've just mentioned, I would probably lean towards um a 3 0, I think. Mm. But I mean, this season, to be fair, Rogers probably has more counter attack and weapons at his disposal. He's now got Patson dacker in his team. He's got Adam Ola there as well, who can, who, who's caused Liverpool one or two issues in the past. Um. So I suppose he's maybe a bit more suited to a counter the style, but I still think Liverpool will just pen him in like we have done in, in previous seasons. I, I don't see any real reason to suggest that things will be different this time around, unless Rodgers has got a bit of a master plan to use. Um. So yeah, I'm going to go for a you know a two three nil win or something like that, fairly comfortable. And as I said, Liverpool benefiting from having a bit of a Christmas off in a way. Mm. Um. But yeah, we'll round up there, mate. So, Dave, have a good Christmas, mate.
0: Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, I don't know when we're next back on. So good Christmas and potentially good New Year as well. But we'll see what happens. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening this year. Yeah, I mean
1: at most we will have one more before the New Year, but possibly not. So if if we don't, you know, have a good New Year as well. But thanks for tuning in. Have a good Christmas. Thanks for joining us throughout the year, and we will be back soon. Uh, do tune in. See you then.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.